Currency Press is Australia's foremost publisher of the performing arts. We've been sharing Australian stories since 1971, and we've always believed in theatre that raises more questions than answers. That's why we're sitting down with some of Australia's most respected playwrights and talking to them about their work. Each month we look at one play over 30 minutes with insights straight from the source. Hello, I'm Toby Leon, and this is Not In Print. Alex Buzo was born in Sydney and educated at the University of New South Wales. In the late 1960s, his early plays pioneered a revival of Australian theatre. Macquarie and other historical plays such as Big River and Pacific Union helped to popularise the themes of our individual and national maturity. Buzo's books, Tautology, The Longest Game, The Young Person's Guide to the Theatre, and A Dictionary of the Almost Obvious, confirm his reputation as an important recorder of the modern Australian idiom. In 2005, he was awarded an Honorary Doctorate of Letters from the University of New South Wales for his contribution to Australian literature. And following his death in 2006, his daughter Emma founded the Alex Buzo Company, which was the first arts organisation in Australia to produce, promote and perpetuate the work of a single Australian writer. Today, Emma Buzo is here to discuss what is perhaps her father's most famous work, Norman Ahmed. In Norman Ahmed, a rather ochre white Australian male encounters a well-mannered Pakistani student with revolutionary ambitions on a Sydney street at midnight. This was Buzo's first play, and it creates an image of race prejudice as a profoundly irrational force in the behaviour of ordinary Australians. The exploration of alienation in this play remained a common theme in Buzo's work, often delivered with clever and stylish use of the Australian idiom and a tireless commitment to reflecting the true nature of Australian society. Emma, welcome to Not In Print. Thank you. Now, Norman Ahmed was really radical for its time. It probed the murky depths of race prejudice years before the white Australia policy ended. But at the time its most controversial ingredient was actually the last line of the script. The play originally ended with Norm saying, fucking bong, but this was changed to bloody bong for its premiere production at the Old Tote in Sydney on the 9th of April in 1968. So at the time, the profanity was actually deemed more troublesome than the racial slur. And when the play was first performed, oh, sorry, when the play was performed in April 1969 in Brisbane, the original line was used, and after one performance, two policemen actually arrested the actor who said the line on a charge of using obscene language in public. Now, he was set free on bail, but he continued to use the line. And after a series of trials which went all the way to the High Court, the conviction against him was finally quashed. Now, of course, this got me thinking about Australia more generally at the time that Buzo wrote Norman Ahmed. So let's talk about the theatrical landscape when it was first produced. What kind of shows would have filled the main stages at the time and what did they say about who we were back then? Well, I think it's safe to say that most of the theatre that people went out and saw at the time was imported. It was uh, British or American because that's where theatre came from. Australians didn't make their own theatre. Australians uh, watched theatre that came from another land. The Australian story was still bush legends and uh, stories such as Ned Kelly. And there's an interesting story. Alex, my father, couldn't make it to see the premiere of one of his plays, Rooted, which came shortly after Norman Armoured because he was one of the um, last, actually the last writer 
in a long line of writers on the film Ned Kelly, which was in 1969, so around the time of just after Norman Armand premiered. And so here was an Australian story, but instead of having an Australian play Ned Kelly, they got Mick Jagger to play Ned Kelly. So even when Australian stories were allowed to be presented to the public, Australians weren't allowed to play themselves. (laughs) So this was really a, a groundbreaking time for these young writers who felt that um, a truly Australian voice in theatre had not been represented on stage. It must have been you know, terribly exciting for all these writers, I always think, being arrested, or uh, actors and producers being, being arrested and, uh, and, and having that feeling of doing, doing something for the first time, putting what they saw as real Australians on stage and questioning some of the, the really established values. And Philip Parsons, of course, one of the founders of, of Currency Press, uh, said that... In terms of a play like Britain's Look Back in Anger, uh, which really was a coming-of-age play when a nation's theatrical voice was really discovered, the Australian equivalent of that is Norman Ahmed. Let's look at Norm. He's behaving strangely from the start. It's not really surprising that Ahmed is wary of him, which leads me to one of the most compelling things about the play. We never find out why Norm's there in the first place. What do you think? Well, I'm so glad you've asked me that, Toby, because that's exactly what Alex would say. He would be accosted after performances of the play with people asking him, what What happened? Why Why did he do that? All these questions about Norm's motivations and Alex would never, ever give them an explanation. Wow. He would always say, what do you think? He kept a lid on that for... Absolutely. That, that's amazing. Forever. And why he did that, I mean, that's that's not what theatre was about to him. Theatre was about um, asking questions. It mm. was about our interpretations. So I'm glad you've asked me that. I don't think that Norm has just come from church. You know, I don't think he's just heard the last of the pilgrims singing their sweet songs. I think that Norm is a very lonely person and the mateship and then the wonderful community feeling that he says that he enjoys at the local club I don't think I don't think that's the case I think that life and all of those wonderful notions of the great Australian dream I think they've failed Norm and I think he's there because because he's lonely he's been fed all these company lines and he's really tried hard to 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 live the Australian dream, but actually he's ended up being a racist old bigot. And I wonder if things would have been different if his wife Beryl was still alive and she was still out there helping him tend to the frangipanis and the garden, which he still gets some pleasure from. making him curried eggs on toast. Yes, he certainly speaks. That's one of the parts in the play that he, he does get upset when he talks about his wife. But, you know right from the beginning of the play where he stubs out his cigarette and pretends that he needs a light when we know he already has a light, right from the very beginning of the play, Alex has signalled that nothing Norm says should ever be (laughs) believed. That's one of the thrilling parts about being an actor or director on Norman Ahmed is that there are so many choices. So much is not laid out. You've really got to map out the the psychological journey of, of both of them. Uh, but I, I do think I do think he's lonely, and it the play doesn't work if he's out to bash Ahmed right from the start, because 
It's a foregone conclusion. That's really interesting because I'm wondering where we think Norm's resentments lie, and because we can't trust him, because he's so unreliable, um, he spouts several arguments. For example, about racial tolerance, like knowledge is the key to the door of understanding and friendship, and we've got to learn to understand the problems of others and not worry too much about our own. But there's this potential in him, as we were talking about. You know, he he has a lighter. We know that immediately. We know we can't trust him. There's a, a lot of violent undertones to, to things that he says and does. At one point, he seems to have a post-traumatic stress disorder moment where he grabs Ahmed's throat. Where do his resentments lie? What's going on? Well, I think that Ahmed embodies everything that scares Norm. He's young, he's smart, he's educated. He even says at one point that Ahmed probably speaks better English than most Australians. And interestingly, I believe that the character of Ahmed was inspired by Alex's father, Alex's father was a highly intelligent man who was born in Albania and was able to leave a country in considerable amount of difficulty to leave on academic scholarships. And he was um, able to study uh, in Turkey and at Harvard University in, in America. And then he emigrated to Australia and he had a really distinctive, highly educated use of the, an academic use of the Australian language. I mean, Alex wrote in his Young Person's Guide to the Theatre, at the time, if ethnic characters were in theatre or TV, they were portrayed as sort of stupid with broken English and couldn't, you know, could hardly speak, you know, that, that sort of ethnic stereotype. So he made sure he had plenty of ethnic characters in his plays who were smart and educated and didn't necessarily have an accent. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Ahmed, it, the play works if Ahmed hasn't, uh, does have an accent uh, because he is um, recently from, from Pakistan. But I think, yes, that, that Norm, uh, it makes Norm really paddle hard um, to hear Ahmed use English the, the way he does. And he resents the fact that he gets to go to university or the old brain drainer, uh, as, he, as he calls it. And he's also attractive and that's another part of the play that you can draw out the fact that Norm constantly, perhaps not constantly, but a number of times in the play, Norm talks about, uh, you think I'm a poofter, and then he talks to Ahmed about um, having a tug in the gutter and he really wants to talk to Ahmed about homosexuality and I think that he resents that. What? How can you be how can you be all of these things and I actually like you? I also think it's really interesting to lead into a question that I want to ask that's trying to burrow under the uh, the illusion of the Australian dream and how that can actually afford you happiness, which I don't think Norm has. We've been talking about that. So I want to read Norm's description of his Sunday when his daughter makes him lunch. On Sunday mornings, I sit out on the terrace and sip a tea Maria and read the sports section. Lorraine's in the kitchen, smell of a roast lamb on the breeze. What more could you want? Green lawns all around, vista of the harbour, Holden in the garage. Now, this is just one of the speeches that he gives to Ahmed about how great Australia is, how great his own life is, how he wants for nothing, has access to everything. But... There's something pathological about his reiteration of his happiness. Happy people also don't beat up students late at night. Why do you think that he keeps telling him how good everything is? Well, I think if you say something enough, you kind of 
think it might come true. And Norm has been fed this, all, all of these images and these values. And as I said, it's found him late at night lonely on a street corner. But nevertheless, he keeps repeating them ad nauseum to try and convince himself that this is not only what he has, but that this is a good thing and this is what, what life means. You know, I, I think that Norm would have been great in a tourism campaign, better than Lara Bingle. <laughs> <laughs> I can see, you know, Norm standing on his green lawn with his Holden in the garage, where the bloody hell are you? <laughs> I'm actually a Norm sympathiser. I know that's probably not a popular thing to say, but but I really, I am a Norm supporter. I really feel for Norm. I know that he does a terrible thing, but I can see how it, how it's happened. I, I, he's, he's slipped through the cracks. He's not particularly bright. It, it didn't work for him. None of, none of these great things worked for him. We don't even know whether he does have a Holden in the Garage and a Vista of the Harbour, and that's another choice that the actor and director have to make. Where does Norm actually live? Does he really have a vista of the harbour? I'm not sure. So let's look at him then projecting a little bit further as the Australian Norm being called Norm. Obviously, there's a reference there. Do you think he's a typical Australian of the time? It's an interesting notion uh, whether Norm is is the Norm. I, I think that these days when I've worked with students on this play, they don't recognise Norm as much or perhaps it takes a little bit of prodding to to recognise Norm. But back when the, the play was written, I think, yes, it's difficult to say that he Norm embodies the Australian man. However, I think he, he does embody one type of, of Australian whose values had not been questioned before and Alex dared to put this before everyone and um, will put this character on stage who was an ex-serviceman and a supporter of everything that, that was the great Australian dream and, and make him a racist, violent man. Uh, you know, and Alex wasn't, uh, didn't have a political message or anything, but I think he felt that it was time that men like that were being... Questioned. And Ahmed even at one point says something quite controversial. Still to this day, he um, he says that he feels very sorry for the poor old chaps that fought at Gallipoli, I think, or, or the Anzacs. The Anzac, but... you know, the Anzacs, but he feels that the, the Anzac legend is often evoked for other purposes. Right, mm. right. So Ahmed can sniff out the marketing, you know, from, from a mile off. He also sees that our media is essentially controlling our minds mm. because of this kind of huge mm. block of ownership of different media channels as mm. well, which I, I found mm. really interesting mm. because obviously that's a conversation mm. we're still having today. Yes, yeah. People still believe. It doesn't take much for, for, st for people to swallow the company line. It's Norm who says, uh, as you said before, knowledge is the key to friendship and understanding. Or as the actor in the, the Alex Buser Company production uh, Lawrence Coy always used to say, with our Asian neighbours. Uh, Ahmed comes back with, oh, oh, so what exactly does that entail? So he questions this, the marketing guff, and <laughs> Norm stumbles. He, he, doesn't, he actually doesn't know. He doesn't know what it means. Mm. He's just, because he says, um, I think there's a, there's a pause, and he says, oh, well, you know, uh, 
uh, knowledge and uh, uh, being friendly. <laughs> he doesn't. He has no idea. And and that's a great great moment because the marketing has been uh, questioned. And actually, there's nothing behind it. It's just it's just the line that Norm says. And that's one of the more benign things that he spouts. There's also the line which kind of um, underpins pretty much the the whole play. Really, I think it. Um, I won't get it verbatim, but it's the price of liberty is eternal oh, vigilance. <laughs> yes, yes. There's a funny story about that. Um, when Norman Ahmed was produced in Mumbai, the director of the production said to him, I really have to congratulate you on that that line. It just speaks to us. And they, in fact, used the price of liberty is eternal vigilance as the, the tagline on all the Norman Ahmed production posters. And Alex didn't have the heart to tell him that that's actually the RSL's tagline. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that either. How funny. Yes, it, was, it, it is. It's marketing. Wow. Mm. Wow. Mm. That's very interesting because it yeah. sounds like the sort of thing that Oh, George, it's grand, isn't it? It's really. It sounds yeah. like the sort of thing George W. Bush would have yes. said during the war yeah. on terror. I mean, it, it mm. sounds like something Winston Churchill would have said. Can There's you so blame, many people. You can't blame Norm for believing in that. It's a great line. <laughs> yeah, it's a great line. Yeah. It's a fantastic line. <laughs> but it's borrowed. It's, yeah. it's marketing. Well, seeing as we're talking about language, I wanted to, uh, to quote something from uh, the famous theatre critic, H.G. Kippax. He once said that the play's strength is actually in the accuracy of its ear for jargon and cliché, platitude and evasion, and the force of critical implication in the way these are patterned to make each point. How do you think Norm's use of language reveals him to us? Well, Alex's language, firstly, I think is like a musical score. Every punctuation mark, every comma, every full stop, every pause, every uh, ellipsis, everything that he used had had a purpose and he was well known for being a stickler for keeping everything as written and not changing, not changing a thing. And I think that's because he did a plan, nice to hear him in his studies, he, he used to speak the lines Every sentence is crafted. So when you're writing uh, such beautiful language, you really need you need to hear it. And I say beautiful, and probably some people would would say, "What? What's beautiful about a kick in the crutch and a cold Frankfurt to <laughs> finish you off?" Uh, but I think there is there is uh, there is a beauty in this rich at times absurd language that, that Norm uses. And I think that what Alex delighted in doing was taking all of these often quite silly phrases that Australians use and, and put, put, them on, uh, put them on stage and, and tinkered with them a little bit. But I, I think that, again, Norm's, Norm's use of language is, is something that, I mean, he's such an artist, really. I did say that I was a Norm supporter, and, and here it is again. But, you know, Norm, Norm should have been in advertising because he really, he really goes for it in terms of his, his use um, of, of the language. And Norm's use of the language proves that he is really trying to impress Ahmed, but also trying to confuse him and, and bamboozle him. And when he says... You're all right there. You know, you look like kicking the crutch in a cold Frankfurt would finish you off. You can really, you really feel Ahmed's confusion there. What, 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 
the hell does that mean? <laughs> what, what, what's so dangerous what, about a cold Frankfurt? And uh, mm. um, but yeah, yeah, I think Norm's the, the language that Norm borrows um, and and uses with such fervor does highlight his his insecurity. Um, Norman Ahmed was one of the first plays, if not the first play, to draw a, a connection between male insecurity and violence. And that's why The Removalist and Norman Ahmed are such a great pair of plays because they kind of speak to each other. The Simmons and the Ross and the, the Norm and the Ahmed characters have so much in common. This young bloke who's been and got himself some fancy education. What do you need the fancy education for? You know, back in my day, I just learnt, you know, school of hard knocks. And um, you can understand how this middle-aged white man can feel a lack of respect. Not, not that Ahmed or Ross have ever say... You are uneducated. You're no good. They never, never say anything. They're, they're too polite. It's all invented and perceived by these middle-aged white men. And we were talking before um, in a kind of broader sense about Ahmed essentially threatening Norm just by being himself. The interesting thing is that he does that without us really knowing much about Ahmed, I mean, he's educated, he believes in the power of the people and more equitable distribution of wealth. He's studying history at university, he's currently living in La Perouse, but we don't know much about his past really. All we actually get is, is one glorious moment that he remembers when a flock of pigeons defecated all over a bunch of dignitaries that were giving a speech on his final day of high school. So he's not a blank canvas, but Norm projects things onto him, which is, is why I found it so interesting, as, as you mentioned, that there's a connection between Ahmed and Norm's father. Both men are agitators, willing to challenge authority and fight for what they believe in. Do you think that's the main reason that Norm is so threatened by Ahmed, is that he's forcing him to think about things that he just doesn't want to even contemplate? I think that Ahmed presses a lot of of norms buttons in a way yes he 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 doesn't want them to to be pressed and there is a definite link um with the the attitude to authority between him and his his father and and yes ahmed doesn't get to talk much about himself it's all invented by norm norm does most of the talking norm talks up a storm but the bit about the uh, the graduation ceremony I think Norm finds very hard to, to deal with because Norm loves authority. But then Norm is such a contradiction because Norm, on the one hand, he talks about giving the coppers a, a fair go, but then, you know, and the, those dignitaries deserved respect. But then he says, mind you, if some mug copper ever, you know, came at me, I'd, I'd give him what for. He's constantly contradicting himself about this rugby league, uh, glorious rugby league career he had, how he was always a clean player, a fair player, but then he tells a story about how he completely smashed this other player and he woke up in hospital. Uh, so while Ahmed's disrespect to authority does disturb him, he contradicts himself on that front as well. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go broader again and, and look at the play as a whole now. There are messages in there about racism, generational envy, alienation, authority. They're, they're still relevant today, which is why I'm really interested in, in hearing how you think perceptions of the play have, have evolved in tandem with Australian society over the years. When I founded the Alex Buzo Company in 2007, I obviously 
wanted to produce Norman Ahmed. It's one of the early works, a great work. But I initially wanted to produce Alex's sequel to Norman Ahmed, which he wrote in the 80s. It was called Normian Tun, and it was the same setting, but it was set years later. It was set in the, in the 80s, and Normie was a Vietnam vet, and he had this conversation, a very similar conversation, so same setting really, with uh, a Vietnamese university student. And the last line after Norm stabs him, so instead of beating him up, he actually he has a knife and he, he stabs him. And he says, age before beauty, gook, which is a great line. But as it turned out, in 2007, the man of the moment was Ahmed. I went to director Arnie Nemi and said, what about producing Normie and Tun? And he came back to me and said, you know, it's, it's, it's Ahmed who is of most significance to Australian society right now. The story of Norman Ahmed has come full circle uh, with the Cronulla riots and uh, September 11 when all of a sudden Muslims across the world were being called terrorists just for being, you know, um, Muslim people. Norman Ahmed only developed more more relevance, more more significance to, to Australian society. And, you know, being produced, that, that production that the Alex Buzo company did in 2007 that had a, a life of, of a couple of years, we did set it in the present and scarily only a, f- a few words needed to be changed. Um, so people people came out of this, this contemporary production that had been set in contemporary times and most of them, if they didn't know the play, they didn't realise that it, it had been written in 1968. Well, your father said that the the main premise of the play is never underestimate the power of difference. And I I wonder, after what you've just said, whether or not you think that this premise will always be relevant in a society as culturally diverse as Australia. Yes, I think so. I, I think that we are lying to ourselves if we don't acknowledge that we have a fear of difference. And I say we, meaning everybody, whether that's true for just a moment or whether you really are as afraid of difference as norm. I think we all as humans, we have a natural tendency to react to things that are different in a negative way. And I think if you can tone down the norm within, (laughs) you're onto a really good thing. Tell me, lastly, why does norm beat him up? The million dollar question. The million dollar question. Well, I have had people accosting me after the production that I produced demanding to know why because they 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 didn't see it coming and they didn't like it they didn't like that they didn't know it was going to happen and I thought thank heavens for theatre that person has probably been watching a lot of television where things tend to be a little bit more predictable I think that Norm in the end is bound to his prejudice. That's who he is. Now, there are a couple of different ways to play Norm. In the the Alex Buzo Company production, Lawrence Coy is what I would call a new age Norm. (laughs) The way he dealt that last line, fucking boom, in my mind, I could always hear the words, 
why did you have to be a fucking boom? He delivered it, that line in a way that expressed anguish and regret. I did this because because you're black and you're smart and you're here in my country. I, I did this, but I did a bad thing and I, and I, I, I feel bad. I thought that was a very contemporary interpretation of norm, the sensitive new, new age norm, that he, he, he experiences anguish and regret. But my mother, who has seen many productions of Norman Armoured, she loved that production. However, she said, actually, I prefer the other way, which is norm bashes him up and just says, fucking bung as though that's what you are that's what you'll always be and you deserved it which is very cruel to the audience that is the crueler (laughs) that is the crueler version because the audience are are hurt there with the sensitive new age norm the audience get this slight slight payoff that oh he's done it he's done it but it's it's bad But with the other version, it's wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. What else would you do with a fucking bull? And I think because we don't know whether or not Norm is telling us the truth throughout the whole process, we should probably leave it here and let everyone else decide for themselves which version they prefer. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Not In Print. We hope you enjoyed hearing more about this great Australian play. You can find out more about who we are and view our full catalogue at currencypress.com.au. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. Just search for Currency Press on Facebook or Twitter and drop us a line. This episode was produced by Currency Press with the generous assistance of the Department of Performance Studies and the School of Letters, Art and Media at the University of Sydney.